Welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. Advice, thoughts, and stories from a married couple on cybersecurity, technology, and life in general. Now here are your hosts, Didi and Latal. Hello, and welcome to the Didi and Latal Show. Hopefully for the last time in the next future, Leah is with us again. Strike is mm-hmm. on and we're going to help her learn a new topic today. Hi, Didi. How yes. is it going? Things are awesome. You know why things are awesome? Besides no. the strike, which is horrible. Because Bill Belichick is still unemployed because he sucks and he's an asshole. Second, if, if you come into a building and say, oh, 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 I want to run everything, <laughs> people are going to tell you, fuck you and go away. So Bill is still unemployed. Second, the Vancouver Canucks and the Boston Bruins are at the top of the ratings. You know what happened the last time Vancouver Canucks won the president's trophy? Producer Dave, do you remember what happened last time? I don't. Was it President Hoover or something? No, I don't. No, <laughs> in 2011. Oh. They won the president's trophy and we won the cup. That's right. And last Vancouver time, yeah. basically was torn apart. You just Google Vancouver riots in 2011. It's amazing. They basically when the Bruins won on their ice F you Vancouver and sorry Pat if you're listening to this. We won the cup. So yes, we want to win the cup. So this is kind of my my History may repeat itself. Yes, exactly. Vancouver should win the president's trophy and we should win the cup. So that's why Shorzy. So for a while we didn't have a technical topic or, and I think or sports talks. Oh sports talk. So we wanna get back in track. And there is this big trend of shifting with AI, with all kinds of tools to what is called low-code, no-code software development. Correct. When I guess you don't need to know legit coding to be able to build stuff, to build software yep. or to build... Or that's the claim. ...processes. Um, and... and we wanted to dive into this topic of like where and when is it appropriate to use those tools? Are they helpful? Are there risks in using them? And how do people starting startups today should think about it? Because I've been hearing some VCs thinking that with the world of low code, no code, co-pilot, AI-driven code generation, we might be able to bootstrap some startups and start without investing so much in R&D engineering because at least some portion of the code could be rip of some tools like ChatGPT and so. So that's the topic of today. Yes. Didi, where do you want to start with this topic? Uh, I, I want to start at the dawn of time. Like always. Like <laughs> always, because I'm old as shit. And so when COBOL came out, it just gives you a sense. And maybe explain quickly to Leah what's COBOL. Yeah. So she, uh, Have you heard of COBOL? So no. IBM decided to create something called third-generation languages. Mm-hmm. And by the way, when we talk about third-generation languages, they came out in the 60s. That kind of gives you a sense 19... of... The 1960s. Yes, I understand. With with the right before the bell-bottoms of the mm-hmm. 70s. So this is how ancient COBOL is. 
It's a programming language that was invented by IBM. And the idea was to take the language, because before that, people used to develop into computers the way that the machine speaks. Mm-hmm. And the machine speaks Zero and ones. an assembly. And you need to... Binary. And exactly. So you need to explain this in the assembly of how the CPU works. And somebody in IBM decided, hey, let's build a programming language that can explain in what is called close to human speak mm-hmm. how the machine speaks. And when COBOL came out, business analysts wrote that the developer is now redundant and even business people will be able to develop software. As we know, that didn't go very well. <laughs> then came out another nice programming language, was, was PL1, which is programming language one, that people said, oh, no, 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 it's better than COBOL. Now business people can actually code. And that didn't go very well either. The then first came time, object-oriented? No, no, no. That, that, that was a disaster. Object-oriented <laughs> was a Swedish invention to make sure that developers make more money. And that's a, a very big laughing topic. But VB6 was the first time that I saw that something was able – VB6 is Visual Basic. And that was a visual development tool because you could take ideas, put a, all these objects on the screen – And it created an explosion of applications, an amazing explosion of applications. It was the, part of the driver behind the dot-com boom because everybody could build a website like Wix and like tools like that. People could, everybody could build a website. Everybody could do something. But very, very fast, you discovered that you build it first, but the first time you need to make a change to this It falls apart. It falls apart. And also, what also happened is that eventually performance was limited because you could do whatever you want in the UI, but you called the database, and the database said, buddy, <laughs> what you just wrote will take me three years to come back to you. So I, I'm, I'm out. Talk to me in three years. So performance was hit. Maintainability was hit. And, of course, our favorite topic, because the topic of the show is security. People started keeping hard-coded passwords because people didn't know the rules. They didn't know. The first time I was dealing with somebody that was dealing with a login system to a VB6 system, that was in 90. Ooh, 90, ooh, I'm, I'm, I'm old. I was asking him, how come you're not hashing the passwords? And he said, what is a hash? I took a deep breath. Another deep breath. Again, I'm not a CompSci major, if you remember. But even I understood that you need one-way encryption to keep passwords because this thing was invented by the original RSA guys when I was... Late not, 80s? No. Late 90s? Passover of 73. Oh, that's a... <laughs> Passover of 73. That gives you a sense of how old some of that stuff is. So uh, Older than you. It's older than me. So th- these things, people, it, it made... things available to a lot of people, but it brought all the, all the same old problems with it. And right now, there's two... Uh, and by the way, I love visual development tools, and I'll make fun of Ron because he's my favorite son to make fun of. <laughs> If you remember, there was this application that came out from, from MIT called Scratch. Yeah, he loved oh, it. He, he loved, loved it. He used to build video games... With that, and have 
starships come down while he's making the audio of saying, Fuchu, 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 <laughs> in the background. And it allowed him to, to do all these things. And, and by the way, that system is amazing because you can also open source. It's easy to open source whatever you build and you share it with the public. And everybody brings things in and it shares ideas. So this is what I love about no code. The thing that I hate about no code is the thought that there's the things that we've learned as an industry over time will go away. And I'll give you, here's a, a, a set of things that almost all the no code systems that are out there. So let me stop, by the way. Anybody has thoughts? Anybody has questions? Leah. What do you understand about what I was asking about the no-code, low-code things? Do you want to be a developer? Maybe. Do you want to try some of these things? I don't know. Okay. But I do remember Scratch because I remember I, I used it, I think, not in school, but like, I think I, 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 I remember Ron using it. Yes. And I remember learning how to use it. And it's very easy to use. It's very... Intuitive. Yeah. So I'll give the how I see it as a metaphor. Okay. You may. There is like the, I code everything from scratch, the approach to coding, which is basically I bake from scratch. I bring the ingredients. I'm, I'm, I'm a chef. I'm going to do the whole thing. There is the other thing of just take out dinner <laughs> like you, you get everything ready and you eat and that's like the complete already coded just grab and drop the weeks kind of way i'm a marketeer i know nothing about anything in coding i get it and i move things around and then there is this middle way which i like a lot is like i may take a pillsbury for the base of my pie but then I add my own ingredients, <laughs> I I put more goodies in it to really make it special it's and less, good. It's not very for scratch, from scratch. It's not from scratch because the, the base of the pie is Already annoying made. and to make and it takes time. Mm-hmm. But to really make it flavorable and like really well crafted... I'll cut my own apples and I'll put things on it and I'll put my own spices and apple pie spice. So that's kind of like where I like it when you tailor-made the no-code, low-code, whatever you're getting to your needs, the security that you need to have in place, the capabilities. So this is how I'm thinking it in my non-professional way. Is this the right metaphor to think about those things? It's or not. am I completely not? You're completely wrong. You see? <laughs> That's why I'm not a software engineer. Yes. Well, so components... I'm, not, I'm also not such a good cook. So you know, uh, as a baker, you're really, really good. You're probably the best. I'm baker. not actually yeah. using a Billsbury. I do from, I know, from, from scratch. scratch. But from the way I see this, what you're talking about is componentization. And that problem has been solved a long time ago. So right now, if, you, if you're building on-prem, you probably need to get to build everything from scratch. But you build in the cloud, most of the stuff that you had to build in the past, you get your servers from somebody else. You get your automation from somebody else. You get your UI from somebody else. Because you, you take components like Bootstrap and allow those elements from 
the big open. You have Infigma, all kinds of things to use. Exactly. Yep. You get a lot of those components already built in from the big companies like Bootstrap is created by Facebook. There's a whole bunch of those technologies that are out there that deliver the components. For me, what the no-code, low-code does very, very well, it is, you mentioned Figma. It does give people the ability to POC fast, but it takes away the actual imp- imp- possibility to make thing a component. So in let's take one space, which I actually really like to take a look at this. One is actually two spaces. One is DevOps, and the other one is and the other one is testing. So in the testing world, this is where a lot of the, the no code, low code is really helpful. And by the way, this is where AI has a lot of potential. See? Second week in a row that I agree that AI is maybe helpful somewhere. You it, have transformed. Yes, yes. I, I gave credit I give credit to DJ and from one of the companies that we bought. He really changed the way I, I perceive a lot of the things about AI. But one of the things that you can do is you map out, you train the, the algorithm to see, you know what, I, I go through DUI, I click on these things to create visual testing and from that generate code that you can embed. This is, I think, is really helpful. The other part that it could be helpful and is in DevOps. But in DevOps, we need to think of maturity of the organization. And you need to think of this as like amateur running versus professional running. So if I go running with either of you, I will probably a lot, be a lot faster. If I go running with Omri... He or on. Ron, depend, Ron depends on... On the on, day. On the day. <laughs> How much coffee you had for breakfast. Exactly. But if I go run after Omri, Omri will be able to... If we run 5K, Omri will be able to... Go to Dunkin' Donuts, order a whole bunch of stuff, finish everything in the Dunkin' Donuts by the time I actually get to the finish line, and I'm not that slow. I run a 5K under 30 minutes. So that kind of gives you a sense of how good looks well, like. he's... Yes. He's fast. He's fast. He's Omri. He's Omri. But this kind of gives you a sense of what good looks like and what okay looks like. And with low-code, no-code on DevOps, what happened is a lot of people used to have what is called... The, the shell script in the drawer, that the only way that you actually knew what people did was hit back the history in their script and see what they did because they ran everything in a one-time way in the script, and that's terrible. The other one thing that came into be is what is called click ops, and this is where you need to be very careful that a lot of these tools actually help get away with from click ops. Click ops means that I go into the AWS console, I click randomly on a couple of buttons, and I have an environment, and it looks awesome. Next time I need to build the same environment in another place, crap. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I need to click randomly on, on those buttons. We would love things to be automated. Best way to automate this is to treat, treat infrastructure as code. But for that... To you, have, like, scripted workflows. Is that script, what you're saying? Scripted workflows, automated workflows, use t- tools like Terraform, make everything code go into the source control, have everything audited. This really tightens up security very, very, very well because it means that nobody can create the environment. And every environment that you create is a cookie cutter. But if you run things through click ops, it means that this is the, the conversation of pets versus cattle. 
you want your servers to be cattle, not server, not pets. Because we love Simba, we know Simba, we we care about Simba, but do we don't we? care. I do. do uh, but, but you know, but, but you just the point about it. I, I know it because I heard about it yesterday. Do you know that the new president of Argentina, president or prime minister, I, I just heard that all his dogs are a clone of the same dog. Just a random fact. So Sorry. Like they were... I, like I thought that you wanted to say that him. the president of Argentina is a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> In the country that I, raises the most amount of cows. I, I don't think it is, but his pets are a actually a clone of one dog. They're yeah. identical. Yes. Okay, sorry. I interrupted but with a random thing because you mentioned the, the cattle the, versus the, the pet. But the idea is that we want to be able to, to cookie-cutter everything. and Not our pets. Not we our actually pets. like them to be different. Yes. We're not like him. And, and that's, why, that's why we say that our servers should be cattle, not pets, but our pets should be pets. Okay. And by the way, when we talk about Scratch, I can show you how Simba programs in Scratch. There's a picture of him sitting on, uh, exactly, on an Omri's keyboard and randomly clicking. He does it on a daily basis. He, yes. he sends emails from my account. <laughs> yes. Yes. So okay, he writes back to the conversation. Back to the conversation. One of the things that is really nice is that a lot of these tools allow people who are click developers, basically go in and click, to actually automate some of their infrastructure And when the tools are built correctly, they're able to store some of those things in a nice place, like a, a source control, version it. So when I change something, I can deploy it everywhere. They can parameterize this. And, but it's not at the same velocity of having somebody that can click. So it's really good at building a POC. I haven't seen any of these things that mature into... actual real code and now comes our favorite topic what about security what about security <laughs> and when you do velocity and you don't think through things you always neglect security so you're saying if we will completely automate some workflows there is a risk you should automate some of these workflows so okay. tools like and probably I should you Send this to my buddy Nate from Okta Workflows. Tools like Okta Workflows make IT people that previously couldn't solve problems or had to do them in scripts that lay in some basement and were unprotected. Now they're in a protected, versioned, controlled environment. So this is really good. Okay. What's the risk, though? The, the risk is that now you're replicating things that, That may have vulnerabilities into places in a much faster option. Second is you're allowing a lot of times a lot of those tools make a lot of things that previously you couldn't do, like opening ports, like opening sockets, like having a super user key in one of those systems to be able to take those actions. And now you have this super user. powerful user attached to these processes but nobody actually monitors who runs them so I see I mean you can now have those vulnerable parts of your workflow basically propagated fast fast and in and, and be more pre- pervasive everywhere 
You could say, though, that on the other hand, you can automate some of the ways to guard from this happening potentially, wouldn't you? So that actually is on the tools themselves. A lot of them, so a lot of them are not built to work with GitHub, for example. They build their own versioning. A lot of people's security controls are built on top of those GitHubs. Mm-hmm. So one of the things we do for a lot of times for security to check if something has vulnerabilities in it is there's tools like Sneak and other companies like that. They take the, the output of, and, the, and they test. There's another thing is there's tools that do runtime assessment. And the tools that do runtime assessment, they need an input and an output. But this is where these tools sometimes block those tools. So those tools a lot of times don't interact with your security ecosystem because what they do is simulate the work of an employee. And all you get to see is people clicking things very fast. The other part, which is my favorite, identity security, a lot of them are built on putting a user's credential into the system. Assuming a legitimate user. Exactly. And the first thing that they ask us is, hey, can we kill MFA for this user? I said, what, 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 what? Yeah, because the automated system can't MFA. And they're not built to do a trust or they're not built to have a cert in them or they're not built to govern because you're, you're pretending to be another user. And how you govern access of that specific user and how you limit the access of this specific user. Because what happens is you have this automation and usually the system takes one user. You say, you know what? First, let's just have some read access. Then we say, you know what? I also need to change some of these things. So I need also write access. And then you have what is called the exploding token, which is eventually you make it a super, 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 super user. And it's sitting in the system. And now it's super available because what are the security controls? A lot of times these systems come in through the back door. They don't come in through the front door and they don't go through the SDLC processes of testing and verification. So my like of these things is, going back to my VB example, a lot of the the smart tools that survived over the years is they have a visual front end, but eventually they generate code and they give you code in a readable language. And then they can play in the ecosystem. Then they can go into GitHub. Then it it allows for transparency. It allows for control. So that's kind of... But on the, ha- on the other hand, I do prefer having that than having some script on some somebody's machine running things as, and pretending to be a human. So I think your point, and I think we've discussed it in other episodes when we talked about algorithmic biases and so... I think you're going back to the theme of transparency. Correct. At the end of the day, even the no code, low code, whatever you are, you're saying, I want to see the entire code behind the no code. I want to be able to examine it, see how it fits into my workflows, into my security. I want to be able to change it as needed. So you don't want a black box. I don't want a black box. And, And the other thing that I want, if you do want to run a black box, I do want to have SOC 2. I do want to have a privacy data sheet. I do want to know where you keep these things. And I want to know that there is a process governing these things. Because one of the things that we jokingly say about models is the garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. If I enable a lot of people to do things, and the DD theme of everybody's stupid, 
So now you enabled a lot of stupid people to do a whole bunch of other things. That's basically machine learning AI, right? Yes. If you feed with stupidity, it will be... Blurbing out stupid. The artificial intelligence will be stupid. artificial non-intelligent. Dumber uncle. Yep. That's what happens when you listen to the internet, Leah. <laughs> I have a question. Yes. When you mean like... I can see the code. Do you mean like as your perspective when you're looking like you when like if you're having someone else write the code, is that what you mean? Like you'll be able to see their progress and not that. Is that what you mean? So if you remember our friends Scratch, Mm -hmm. Scratch allows you to see a dump of the script. Kind of extend the. You can just see the code blocks. Yeah. But you can also expand it mm-hmm. and actually see the code behind it. Yes. Okay. And with other tools that are similar to that, you can actually see the JavaScript that runs in the okay. background. So I want to see JavaScript, TypeScript, Java, COBOL, Python, whatever. So okay. bottom line, you don't care if it's a human being or a machine generating your code as long as you can review the code. As long as I can review the code, I can secure the code. I can use standardized tool to inspect it and the other element of this is i do want to have the complete ecosystem source control authentication runtime privacy all the things that we can't basically say it's it's a lot better because we took shortcuts of the things that we keep ourselves at higher standard like testing coverage and all those things that we excuse ourselves from those because we say, oh, yeah, yeah, we can fix it fast. Eventually, the fast hits a wall. Let me get to the point we started with. What's your take of this notion of we can reduce the cost of creating new stuff? We can use less engineers, use low-code, no-code, large language models, generated code to make things faster. Do you think it is possible, knowing that yeah, you still need to actually see the code and make decisions about implementation. So what's your take? Like, if you start a startup in the next few years, do you think it will be kind of more effective, cost-effective? I think, well, you mentioned a lot of things, and I'll unpack them in, in parts. Okay. Let's start with code, with, with cost. These tools cost money. They usually consume AWS resources. If one of them will run a shitty query on my database, my costs are done. So he's saying the cost of engineer is nothing compared to the The, cost of compute. uh, Mm -hmm. The cost of compute, the cost of storage, the cost of bandwidth. I I call it the cost of physics. So if you want to analyze something, eventually your, your, your costs are derived from that. So... Assuming that this will save you on cost, it's more of a like how Leah sorts out her laundry. She moves it around, but she doesn't actually fold it and sorts it. So it, it's moving chaos from one place to another. So cost saving, I, I'm not a big believer that will actually save on costs. Okay. The things that have saved a lot of on cost is the cloud infrastructure. That, that's amazing. That, that, that thing saved us billions. But the thing that I think people need to perceive this is enabling a bigger crowd. Can I get ideas from people like Leah? 
Like Ron, can I get ideas? Be executed. Probably. Hmm? Probably. If, can yeah. I, exactly. That, yeah. this, is, this is where I think the big thing is. If I can get... I'm, I'm thinking of Matt when he was starting to build Ort a million years ago. If he could have done things for POC level, not for to, to get the first seed round from a VC without hiring developers, I think this is very valuable. Yeah. And I think this is where the AI tools and the no-code, low-code will really come into play. I think where we need to educate our VC friends is my rule of physics, that when you want to take that and productize it, this is where I think the big leap will be. And the more things will be built this way, when you actually need to turn it into a product, that's where the engineering cost will actually go up. I do think... And that's a different conversation that I'm seeding for the future, that on sales, marketing, customer support and stuff, I think AI will be transformational and will change a lot of the cost structure around those areas of the business. I agree with you. The thing to, to remember is part of the reason that Ord exists now so will be next time we'll launch how it's actually going to be called under Cisco is because one of the things that happened a lot of times is that the salespeople have this nice little button signing with Salesforce. Now think that they have an automatic AI tool to basically call everybody randomly and pretend to be them. <laughs> I, I, I'm scared of that opportunity because it will replicate the things that we're playing whack-a-mole to chase. Yeah, so, I agree. So I agree that a lot of these no-code, low-code, if it can help customer success build work workflows if it can take the sock and automate workflows yeah. with smarter next generation of soar tools this is going to be awesome yeah agree but if anybody thinks that it can replace core engineering i think i think it's a lot like the tech industry it accelerates but it can't replace because the thing that is really different, and this is something I give always as an example. In our world, the ability to understand complex mathematical questions, the NRSM and calculus, <laughs> is what makes one development team better than the other. Yeah. The ability to, because if you look at the visual basic way back when, when I said to somebody, how, how will I deal with it's this case, but not this case? Under these conditions, but not these conditions. Now express that multivariate boolean in a UI. And then you see people go. And you need to deal with this all the time. I spent time last night talking to the engineering guy who's in charge of our AI efforts in our security business unit. He says, you don't understand. It actually makes things harder, not easier. I need to look at all the tasks. He sat, he sat down and gave me a list of like 19, 20 tasks of data cleanup, data training. There's a, it actually generates a lot of work mm -hmm. because if you don't do these things, it's actually going to catch up to you in a very bad way. So I, I think it doesn't change. It doesn't replace the work. It just changes the tool that you need to have this, these smart people do this. But the other thing it does enable to, and this is, Again, me aging, and hopefully I'm getting off my soapbox soon. <laughs> is 
one of my skills and one of Oleg's skills was we were able to take a look at a script that was written in Vim, that's VI, on screen. And we didn't need color coding. We didn't need IntelliSense. We looked at this and said, oh, here's the bug. That skill today needs to go away and be replaced by tools that can do some of these things and can do this better. But that just means that somebody that's smart and capable can do other things. Yes. Free us up your time to do other yes. I have valuable a question. things. Yes. Couldn't AI do that? Be smart or find the bugs? Find the bugs. It can, but usually it will solve the things that it is trained on. And when Gen AI is, is different, is in theory it can guess, mm-hmm. is this a bug? What happens when it tells you that something that you have done is a bug, but it's not a bug? I'll give you an example. It's not a bug. It's a feature. It's a feature. I'll give you an example. There was sometimes that we you dealt with... You did it on purpose. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's things that we've done to prevent bottlenecks or, or deadlocks. So the code looks very inefficient, mm-hmm. but it's meant because there's a database down the pipe and the database will choke. And the code is there for a reason. Because mm-hmm. we've seen this a lot of times that somebody new comes in and says, oh, well, this is really bad. Let me refactor this. And the first thing they do after they refactor it is the code chokes. <laughs> and this is the same thing that can happen with AI. Because it, it and especially... So if they, something you, that they think is a bug might not actually be a bug. Because yes. somebody put it on purpose yes. to solve a different thing. The AI will not be aware of it. And I'll give you nerd... So AI is not always smart. I'll give you a great example. There's this mythical AI, and Dave probably knows this. If I tell you Skynet, do you know what, where Skynet comes from? No. Is this a comic book thing? It sounds uh, familiar. If I do this with a German accent, will it help? I'll be back. Oh. <laughs> from, what is, oh, is that that's the Terminator? The, or? That's, that's the AI that decides to terminate humanity. Right. Okay. So one of the things that... That was not a good German accent of a, at uh, all. I, I barely have a voice. Awesome. So, so Skynet decided to terminate humanity. Mm-hmm. And this is what we need to remember, that AI can come to the right conclusion, but it's not really helpful. So let's keep that in mind. And with that positive note... I, th- I think we're good for today. I think we're good for today. I hope this conversation was helpful. We, we will talk about AI more uh, yes. because it touches so many topics and this is becoming pervasive of our lives. So, well, thank you. Thank you. I hope this was enlightening. Leah, thanks for joining us again. Let's asking hope, smart questions. Let's hope this is the last time for until you have school vacation, which now is going to be canceled, canceled for, July. I don't know. School is going to be in, hopefully, for a long time after you're back in school. Well, thank you for listening for the Didi and Lital show. We're here every week. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcast. Share this. If you want to be on the show, DM me or Didi on our LinkedIn We will see you next week. Goodbye. Ciao. Leah, thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.